please tell me that you were doing that was a bit. That's the one of the funniest bits you and Craig have ever done. <laughs> really, I love that. Every time I hear it, when you guys do that, I go, "That's a good one." That would make the junkies laugh. That that was that was a good one. Um, I am trying to. Um, I mean, he's a big. He's a football guy, so he's involved in a lot of things. Brad Jackson, one of the Ravens' greats, and we're trying to. Uh, a lot of these guys in my area go into the witness protection program, and if they don't get the um, the call from a you know a number that they absolutely um, recognize, they um, they don't respond. But I'm hopefully we'll be able to get um, we'll be able to get them on. But that that was a good bit. That's one of your one of your one of your absolute favorites. Yeah, he caught me off guard with it, you know? I feel like th- there are just some words that uh, you don't use often, you and you might, you know, just forget the meaning of a word. That was me in that moment. Yeah, but Craig is a wordsmith. Yeah. You know, he's a wordsmith. And I love it now that he's really um, – he and my oldest, um, Austin the Celtic, as he's got the new sleep thing, he's monitoring his sleep. Like Craig is really you now, he's reading on the sleep, monitoring and trying to. And it's a great, mm-hmm. it's a great um, venture into that behavior. And it, it, what I've learned is the REM sleep, the incon- the REM, what deep sleep. I mean, I know you know some people can't sleep without a light on, or they have to have a television, they have to have music playing. And now I noticed that a lot of the younger, like children. That have a there's these baby devices that like snow noise that they have them in their their kids rooms that I'm just fascinated by that they have to have noise for them to go to sleep can't sleep like that never in a million years that would never put me to sleep um but in some neighborhoods kids grow up in there's racket all the time. Sirens. I'm in Inglewood going to college. Do oh by Welch by the big donut deal, dude. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's like it never slept. We used to call it Ingle Watts, not Inglewood, Ingle Watts. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's like some urban city. They never sleep. It's like it's 3 a.m. in the morning. It's like Times Square. How busy it is in certain areas, but um, I don't know. I think I can't wait for for Hoffman to to uh, at some point get back and really don't put a whole bunch into the sleep segment deal. I want him to write a book on that and then I'll read it and we'll go to that. That'll be good. But you got to get Big Tony. I got to figure out what um, <clears throat> what's up with Brother Jackson because he's good. I mean, he's a really smart guy. I know linebacker and smart guy don't usually, you know, run um, run together, but he is. He's uh, – but, you know, we kid linebackers about it, but I don't know – most of my linebacker brother are really sharp guys. They really are. I mean, London Fletcher is one of the sharpest dudes that you come in contact with. They have to because they usually call the defense – so these guys have a real high football IQ. Ken Harvey, high football IQ. Raven Caldwell. 
Hey, Raven, you knew I was going to pause, right? You knew I was going to do that. No, Raven, high football IQ. But Brad Jackson, I hate to say good things about him because he'll tape it and then he'll play it back against me. So I don't like to say anything good about him like that. But he really is a high football IQ guy. And um, so I love having him on, love getting his opinions about the game. And the, the always like to start off with, with B-Jack is about there's got to be a reason why you're not coaching. It's got to be because you don't want to do it, right? B-Jack. Yes, sir. There's got to be a reason I... why you're not coaching in the NFL, right? You've turned it down. You said it's not enough money for the time that you'd have to invest, and your beautiful bride says she's not going to be separated from you again. Yeah, well, for, for me personally, there yeah. was a number of reasons. Right. Um, you know, it was I had, you know, was raising three children, right. and I grew up single parent. Right. And, you know, we're both from California. Right. I just wanted something different. So right. I, I did not want to be – you know, and talking with it was a great conversation I had with you know your your Redskins great you yeah. know now it's the Commanders but he was there with the Redskins Charlie right. Casterly right and we had a, a very in depth heart to heart talk I want to say almost ten fifteen years ago I had did an internship and you know he was telling me some of his own personal things that he had you know uh, went through uh, you know as far as being part of the game and we know how successful. Mr. Cashley was, and I have tremendous oh, amount yeah. of respect and admiration. Jazz, for him, Jazz is a beast, no question. And, and uh, you know, so it's one of those things that I personally did not want to. Now, I've done coaching internships. I've done, I want to say, almost 10, 11 of them on, in, initially, but I had promised my kids that I was not going to miss any of their games. And a lot of people, and it's no knock on coaches that are part of it. I have coaches for the Ravens that I, I personally know and their kids and my daughter, who you obviously know, I'm, yep. I'm a big fan of and yep. played softball at Georgia. My oldest yep. played softball. Yep. Uh, Juniors played baseball at Towson, started at Towson and, <clears throat> yep. and then finished at Stanford and, and so on and so forth. So, but I didn't want to miss those moments. I, because I know the toll that coaching has on families and that you're out of the house all the time and you're on the road and, and every staff is different. Like we've heard the horror stories of, you know, when John Gruden was in, he slept in the office and he expected his coaches to sleep in the office. And then I know one of my first internships I did was with coach Tony Dungy in Indianapolis in training mm-hmm. camp, mm-hmm. their Super Bowl year uh, for training camp. And he was big on eight, eight, nine o'clock at night, you know, guys get out of the house. Bruce Arian was the same way that, you know, in Tampa and, and, and other places and Mike Tom was the same way where, you know, you better not. You will get in more trouble if you miss family activities. Now, that means you're going to end up probably coming back to the office at 930, 10 o'clock <laughs> after you put the kids to bed. But, you know, there there is something to be said right. that you, you right. should not be missing your kids' events. And, I, and I've always said this. You know, you and I have joked about mm-hmm. this in all yeah. the years we've been doing media. Yeah. Is the NFL isn't going anywhere. So, you know, now in the last, my, my baby girl just graduated, at, you know, in 2022. This is. I've been doing scouting internships and obviously, as you know, I've been helping with the senior bowl and I'm an area scout and, you know, exploring opportunities, maybe on the scouting side. And, you know, I've talked with Marty Herney uh, and, and Mark Mayhew, who uh, who have stayed on staff with Adam Peters uh, down at Commander's Park. And so 
Marty Herney brought me to Carolina, you know, way back in the day when I was a free agent coming from Baltimore to Carolina mm-hmm. with uh, John Fox and, and Jack Del Rio. And he's been hugely influential in trying to get young former uh, black players uh, involved in scouting. And, and you know this because you played like mm-hmm. a lot of guys don't really know there's an avenue for former players in the scouting side. Uh, the executive director, Jim Nagy, from the Senior Bowl, who actually started the program with Phil Savage, uh, started it, and Jim has expanded it, and the NFLPA has now been a part of it uh, with Roman Odin and those guys of getting former you know, players that in, in, in general and then former minority players involved. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, you're, you're good enough to coach, but, you know, there's a stigma that you're not good enough to build the team. And I, I've built – you know, successful businesses and sold them to, to uh, venture capitalist firms. So, um, and I did everything from making the sales and the phone calls, the hiring, the firing, the training and all the above. And, and, you know, when you're part of this game, you know, you, it takes skill that I don't have all the answers, but you know, you can look at a guy and see whether he can do it or not. And then what his limitations are. And that's the thing that I've learned from Jim Nagy at the senior bowl and, uh, you know, last couple of years of scout school. So if there's any of your listeners, I know there's a bunch in the DMV that are former players that have an interest in getting into it. You know, the stigma, when we always saw, you know, scouts, Doc, was they, they were looking for our replacement. Mm-hmm. So we never really, you know, messed with them. We didn't really like them cats too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ozzie Newsom used to say, walking around the building, you would see, oh, you know, in, in the cafeteria, and it'd be, you know, me, Ray Lewis, mm-hmm. and Jamie Sharper, and Cornell Brown, and and Peter Bowler, you know, all the linebackers eating together, and you'd be like, hey, what's up, Oh, And he'd always say, looking for your replacement. Mm-hmm. So, they're, you know, you never really liked scouts because you always figured they were on the road. Uh, but once you realize and understand that it is big and the game passes all by, and, you know, there is an opportunity, you know, for, you know, former players to get into scouting. Because if you can play the game, you obviously should be able to do more than coach the game. Uh, and that should go apart with, you know, what John Lynch has been able to do in San Francisco. Uh, and then hopefully Adam Peters will bring some of that, you know, to the commanders where they'll get some more former players involved. I know Brad Holmes is doing a phenomenal job of that uh, up in Detroit with what the Lions have been doing and building uh, with Dan Campbell. Um, so hopefully there's, there's more opportunities in teams. Uh, but for me personally, uh, it was – the fact that I wanted to be home with my family, my kids, and not miss their childhood uh, and miss the, the games and the recitals and all that. And I was fortunate enough, you know, from my playing time and, and obviously doing media work and television and radio uh, and still being able to be close enough to the game and, and fortunate enough to still do, you know, get my football fixed and, and learning, as I call it, my continuing education uh, throughout a number of internships uh, with different teams and organizations. Well, looking at this staff that is now assembled here with the commanders, uh, looking at the defensive side of the ball, an area I know you favor, what's your initial, what's your gut tell you as you take a snapshot view of this snap, of this staff? Yeah, it's a good staff. I mean, you know, uh, Ken Norton Jr., what can you say? I grew up obviously mm-hmm. as a fan of Ken Norton Jr., uh, you know, when he played with the Cowboys, and, and obviously he's done a phenomenal job when he was in Seattle with the Legion of Boom. Uh, he's very intense, Ryan Kerrigan. He's homegrown. So, you know, I, I thought that there was, you know, good for them to, 
to keep, you know, Ryan around. I know he, he's done a tremendous job. Uh, Daryl Tapp, you know, obviously the Hokie from Virginia Tech played the game. Mm-hmm. He, I, I love the fact that they were able to bring former players. And when you look at Jason Simmons, the defensive pass specialist, mm-hmm. and Willie Gay, I mean, those are two guys that played the game as well um, at a high level. So, you know, there's a thing to be said, and, and this is a reason why, and I'm going to be candid, you know, I, I don't sugarcoat things back. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in buildings where there have been, and I've walked into those rooms, and the position coaches there were threatened and they were old guys that never played the game and they were guarding their bones, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because once I walked in as a former player, I had walked the fire and there's Mm -hmm. nothing. That's not saying every coach that has never played the game don't know what they're doing. But what I'm saying is rather go talk to me uh, about, you know, you getting a medical, some medical treatment, or would you rather actually go to someone who's actually, been in the fire, went to school for it, learned it, and actually worked on people as far as you getting some type of treatment medically. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I know football is not the same as our brave women and men that are in, you know, healthcare and work in hospitals, and, and God bless all of them, you know, helping to save lives uh, each and every day. But, you know, so there's something to be said that having people who've understood it, there's too many of these coaches out there that read a book and they go to a coaching clinic, you know, they're all rah-rah. They got the slick back hair. They can, they can talk real fancy. They got the little scruff face, whatever you want to call it. And they've never put on a helmet. So you don't know what it's like when you get your bell rung, you're seeing Tweety Bird, and you still got to turn around 35 seconds and go right back to it because you got knocked down and you got to get back up. And you got 10 other men looking at you to just, you know, figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to respond to help them win. Like, there's something to be said for having had to play the game at some level. Uh, that's not the end-all, be-all, I know. But to me, there's a certain respect level, and you see the more successful teams that are employing having guys that actually have been in the fire to work with these young players and talk to the young players. And especially now with this generation of, of knuckleheads that are in the NFL – you know what I'm saying? Like where it's all about social media, it's all about the likes, you know, it, it's a league of entitlement versus a league of accomplishment right now. You know, mm-hmm. if if you got a whole bunch of followers and you've been in the league two years and, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but, it's, you know, a quarterback out in Arizona, mm-hmm. you know, you, you unfriend the team and you start going in a baseball cage and saying you want to play baseball and the team is like, oh, my gosh, we got to give you $162 million and you're below 500 and you're 24, 25, and 1 as a starter, and we ain't never won a playoff game. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to see some accomplishments before we can give you some of those paydays. And, and unfortunately, right now, the league has transpired. And I think personally, my own opinion, I could be wrong, you know, opinions, you know, we, we know what they're like on yep. our body part. We yep. all got them and they all stink yep. sometimes. And, uh, you know, I think – and there's a lot to be said of a lot of the people that are running teams or coaching teams that have never been in the fire. And so they either cowtail or their knees a buckle at the first sign of, you know, a little trash talk, a little guy, 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 you know, rah, 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 what we going to do versus, you know, okay, you know, you want to unfriend us, so what? Come make some plays. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to cowtail to you. And maybe, you know, you're worth the money eventually, and, but you need to earn it. And so I think it's good when you have those coaches 
that have been in the fire that can kind of rein in those guys and kind of like a Ken Norton Jr., you know, Willie Gay, uh, Jay Simmons, Daryl Tapp, all these guys, Ryan Kerrigan, they are all highly successful players in this league and earned a good living because they accomplished a lot of things. So I think that's going to bode well for Joe Witt, the D.C., and, and obviously that defensive staff. And, and on the same side with the offensive side, I mean, Kingsbury obviously has played. We know he's had some success. And obviously, you know, he was able to do some good things. He's had some good quarterbacks. Uh, that's obviously something the commanders have to fix, you know, and what I think they would have the third pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. So obviously second. quarterback is going to be mm-hmm. second pick. So obviously Adam Peters, you know, it, it's going to come down to right away. Do you make the right pick at quarterback? Uh, and, you know, Bobby Ingram, who was here in Baltimore, great dude, awesome teacher of the game with wide receivers. I, I think personally, I'll say it, Bobby got a, a bad rap here in Baltimore. He was a, a very good teacher. Uh, and obviously played the, the game uh, at a high level. And I think a lot of the media and a lot of the blame on what wasn't happening with the wide receivers that were here was unduly put on Bobby. So the addition of Bobby being down there is going to bode well for the commanders, mm. you know, no question. And That's Brian Johnson, you yeah. know, we know what he was able to do last oh, yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year he kind of struggled. Last year he, he, he had Jalen Hurts being, you know, an MVP candidate in mm-hmm. this league and then Anthony Lynn – you know, he's the OG, K-9. you know, former K-9. successful head coach. Yeah, yeah he's an OG. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's a K-9, you know, D-O-double-G dog, mm-hmm. you know, play the game, coaches the game. He's going to get the most, you know, uh, out of those running backs. And as a run game coordinator, I mean, he, he's phenomenal at doing those things. So I think the staff that has been developed by, you know, by, by DQ, uh, you know, is it, going to be a staff that right away they're going to come in and demand excellence. And I know last year there was some whining and crying from some of your players about, you know, Eric Bieniemy was too hard on him and he was too rugged and rough, which I don't understand when you get when you guy comes from a winning place. In our day and age, I wanted to follow and find out what they did to win. And when we got a, somebody <clears throat> from them, yeah, he got set up. We though. followed that. Yeah, that was an inside we, we job, that. but he exposed so, him. He was a martyr. He took the shots, but it opened it up. He took the shots, he took the shots and it had to happen. But I, I'll, I'll never forget him, love him to death, because it exposed a lot of people in our environment. They can never reverse. They showed me who they are. See, now yeah, I know who they the are. And now, the building. Yeah. And the culture in the building. Oh, the, yeah, the co- yeah. Some of those players that Adam Peters and, and this mm-hmm. coach and staff in DQ, they're mm-hmm. going to go find out who they are. They're going to yeah. find out who's a pit bull and who's a poodle. And That's that, right. There's, unfortunately, there's a lot of poodles. That's oh yeah, rating as football players walking around mm-hmm. Commanders Park. Yeah, and, we had you some know, chihuahuas. Don't there, even you know. don't insult yeah. the poodle. We had some chihuahuas. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. No, it so, was the greatest uh, thing yeah, that goes it's... on. Now they expose. They hated Eric for what he represented, and the same lot of them was praising Joe Witt now. And I'm going, right. wait a minute. Thought y'all didn't like that. So this is what I'm saying. They speak with forked tongue, you see, and they don't know what they want because they become so accustomed to losing and losers, and and it's such a it's such a trick bag. Hey, look, Jack, appreciate you, man. I um, I can't thank you enough, man. It because I need you to help educate this market because they've been sold a bull to bull manure, and again, we hired 
dude that was fired, the dude that's fired brought all his people with him, and they all got fired again, and these people don't understand. They bought into that. And then we got a guy that was from the championship environment, and they can't stand him. That's what I'm telling you. I've literally seen this with and heard it with my own eyes and ears. And I'm going to myself, I wouldn't have believed you couldn't have convinced me of this, but I saw it and I heard it with my own eyes and ears. And now I know you can't even believe some things you hear and see nowadays. So I want to see how they yeah, walk I this mean, one back. Well, yeah. And, and, and again, you, I was there, you know, Jack Del Rio mm-hmm. who was down there before the veteran camp when I saw yeah, you at, I was, at the park last yeah, year. And, yeah. And I was shocked, and I even said it to you then, like, yeah. you know, the, the level of the environment of what was going on and amongst the players and how they were reacting to getting coached hard. Like, yeah. you always wanted coaches that coached you hard because that, that meant that they cared. Yeah. And, and like I said, you always – when we had Shannon Sharp and Rod Woodson when yeah. I came into the NFL yeah. – in Baltimore when they came to Baltimore. Yeah. Like, they had won championships and been to a Super Bowl. Yeah, with Shannon. So whatever Shannon Sharp did, mm-hmm. we followed. Whatever right. Rod Woodson said to do, we followed because yeah. they had been to where we wanted to go. But in this day and age, when you get a coach that comes in mm-hmm. and they've been a, a winning and, and probably who is on his way right now, he's still got some work to do. But having coached and been around – the Andy Reeds and, and the Patrick Mahomes and all the success that they had. And he comes in and he's showing you how their practices were. He's going through and doing the same exact things that he was doing when he was in Kansas city. Mm-hmm. And then you have players that are in a losing franchise that are revolting, going to their agents, pillow talking with the media about how he's mean and he cusses at them and but meanwhile, in their cars, they'll 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 listen to and and rap to more of the same, if not worse, lyrics and call each other the worst names. Mm-hmm. But then when coaches trying to get you to understand, you know what it is that we need to do, not about him, but what we need to do for us to be successful and to change the culture. And then there was the pushback and all that. I just I thought it was disingenuous. You know, like I know I've had rough coaches. I, I've had great coaches. But I know that every coach that coaches you hard, I played basketball for Bob Huggins at the University of Cincinnati, and we all know how Huggy oh Bear was. Goodness. And there's not a man to this day from Nick Van Exel to Danny Fortson to Kenyon Martin that anytime Hugs has any of his situations, we all are there. We, we, we love Hugs, and we know exactly who he was. But we understood why he was coaching us so hard, and we understood what it meant. And it's no different – then what you have in the NFL, a lot of people sit here and they look at Andy Reid and his success. Well, you know this. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't know, in every building, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls that are listening to your show, there's a good cop and a bad cop. Mm-hmm. There's a good coach, and then there's a coach that's going to be the guy that's on your tail. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just inevitable in everywhere you go. And because you have to have it in order for the machine to work, you can't have a whole bunch of nice guys. Because then you don't have those moments, as we see in a lot of these big games, especially in the playoffs, when you get punched in the face, how does the team respond, yeah. right? When there's that, that toughness, people talk about being tough. They, they can, the coaches can go up there and tell the media, oh, we're tough, we're a bunch of good guys, and 
Well, at some point in time, you have to have players, and you have to have a coach that will turn around and dig in a player's butt to get the most out of them. Because just when you think you've done enough or you've gotten far enough, it's that coach that digs down a little bit deeper in you that pulls out that little bit that will show up in January and, and shows up in February in the biggest game of your life. In the second half, it allows you to make a play or allows you to fight through some adversity to be a world champion. And that's what I think a lot of this younger generation, these players, they don't understand because from the seven-on-sevens to the high school to the social media to the college to the portals, you know, to the NILs, where it's all about what are you going to do for me, coach, versus what can I do to get better? What do I need to do for us to be better as a group? And, and I think a lot of that has trickled, unfortunately, into the National Football League, which is why you see, you know, Steve Wilkes, you know, get let go. I mean, and you see, you know, players come out and, and Julius sees him. I saw Joey Bosa come out and, and say some words about that they were underprepared. You and I both know, even if it is true, partially true, whatever, you don't publicly come out and throw your coach out under the bus. Because Steve Wilson come out there and say, three of the biggest plays in the second half of that Super Bowl, two of the Pat Mahomes run, the fourth down run, on the RPO and then the touchdown, Joey Bosa was undisciplined and didn't keep his lane integrity and allowed Pat Mahomes to get out on the edge and run for a first down and, and throw for the game-winning touchdown because you're trying to go down and make a play on the run fake versus staying outside and keeping you in the box. And even Tony Romo called it out a couple times in that game that we all saw where, okay, Bosa doesn't stay outside. Pat Mahomes is able to make a play. He gives him a little head fake, and then he's able to get outside and make a throw. So a coach can easily say and do those things on Monday or after a game and be like, well, player such and such didn't do what he was supposed to do. But that's not what we do as men. We all understand there's no perfect call on a call sheet like Marvin Lewis used to tell us. It only comes down to, perf- to perfect players preparing perfectly and going out there and, and trying to execute as perfectly as possible. Brother, you've been That's preaching. That's what our motto was. And we're going to pass the plate around because you just, you just scalded. <laughs> and we all know the worst thing you can happen, happen to a team is to be divided. The 49ers are highly talented, and they are divided. And a house that's divided will eventually fall. They will eventually fall. Brad Jackson, you are a gift. Thank you so much, brother, for sharing with you. We're going to be calling again. I know we got to raise some more. I'm going to take an offering up after this, and we'll be calling on you again. (laughs) Hey, anytime for you. know I got you. Um, I appreciate you, man. God God bless you. Thanks for having me. You are the man. You see what I'm talking about, young fella? This is what my generation brings to the table. Yeah. See, y'all got Google. <laughs> see, but we got, we got some dogs. That is the original canine. <clears throat> Brad Jackson, Raven, world champion. Let's take a break on that one. All right. How old were you when that came out? Six or seven? It's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I was born yet. <clears throat> oh, okay. I don't remember the year. I just remember the beat. You always remember the you always uh remember the uh the good beats. 
And I just let the wizard know that we would be calling him. And, uh, yeah. You called him? Okay, yeah. But I told the wizard we'll be calling him. We're running about 10 late. Yeah. And uh, T-Mass, now, I heard uh, watching the Wizards broadcast, Wes and the boys the other night was talking about the first time Massenberg put a body on him. I don't know if you heard it live or heard about it. I did. So I thought, I said, if Mass hurt is listening, I mean, you probably heard it a hundred times. I know the first time I ever saw you, I said, oh, my God, he was in college? And Mass, <laughs> the man said he got hit so hard. And I go, I go, hey, man, some guys had to, it was a hard, it was a way to make a living. And I remember um, I, my mom would tell me about Nate Thurman. I think he was one of her classmates uh-huh. or had some around the time. I just heard about one of the baddest men on the planet was Nate Thurman. And hearing about when dudes were cleaning glass, rebounders had yep. the reputation unlike anything in any period of time. You knew when a dude handled his business in the paint, it was unlike any period of time. You knew, don't mess around with my boy going up to get bricks. And I just remember how doing very level errors of time how that went through in your time was one of the toughest times where guys did not mess around in the paint. You had to be that dude in order to play pickup, playground, anywhere in order to get minutes. Well, I mean, you can relate to this era, Doc, because it's not just basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, football was a rougher game Mm -hmm. at the stage when you came along than it is now. Like, it's just – and so that's just, I think, the evolution – of all sports, even when you look at baseball, you know, the, the, I look at the way guys would slide in the home plate, you know, in the in the 80s, in the 90s, oh, versus yeah. how they come in now. You know, it's just, you know, the levels of physicality across the board in all sports was a different, uh, you know, different in the 90s and the 2000s versus what it is now. So uh, when you talk about basketball, I mean, when you consider – the time period that I came into the league, literally, you know, in 1990, you know, you got to deal with the the likes of a, a you know, a Carl Malone, a, a Buck Williams, a, <laughs> right. a Keem Olajuwon. Yeah. I mean, you know, these these guys were, you know, these were physical guys. And then for every brand name guy that I can tell you about, you know, there's a, a guy that's not a big name who also was, you know, was physical because that was, basically the mantra for the big men in the NBA. And, and you know, and it wasn't just us. You know, the guards and the forwards, you know, were physical as well. It was just a much more physical style of basketball. And if you weren't willing to basically get your hands dirty, you couldn't play. You couldn't survive. No, I, mean, no I remember the Beef Brothers here with Wes. Yeah. 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 There you go. A, a Wes Unsell. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and these were guys who not only – brought a, a physical mentality, they were big bodies and they yeah. were strong and they were, you know, they were willing to throw you to the floor if you let them. So mm-hmm. it, it's just, that's just what it was. And if you weren't, you know, mentally up to the task, you would not survive. There have been plenty of big, strong guys that have shown up in NBA camps. And I'm sure you've seen it in NFL camps as well, 
who we say, you know, look like Tarzan, play like Jane. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you, you, there's no place for you in that era. So uh, you see now that the game has really gone away from the physicality uh, of the 90s and the, the, the 2000s, and really it's coming down to skill. Guys are, are more athletic. They're more skilled. And, and you know, that's something else I, I see across the board in all sports as well. Our producer, super producer, Anthony Haney, um, <clears throat> around the station, he's the hoops guy. He's the guy with the signature shoes. I've seen him on the court. He's got a nice shot. Uh, his his partner, I've seen them pl- both play. He can hoop. Craig has a nice stroke. I don't give a guy. If he didn't, he's a player. They both have game. And they're basketball guys, and both of them are Syracuse grads. And and so, you know, Syracuse, I think, is synonymous with hoops and their hoopsters. And so right. I have to deal with this on a regular basis um, whenever we're talking basketball. And I, and I love that. It, it is something to where um, when my oldest is, a, you know, he's a Celtic. And so – I like the fact that the Knicks are relevant. There's just certain things, like now Minnesota, the fact that we got a dog that's with the Wolves. And the Wolves are, it's like when KG was back in the day. When a dude is making noise somewhere that we don't necessarily identify with a team, that dude is really making noise. And so on the eve or so of the all-star hoopla and all that, Who's shaking things up of the new breed that you want to shout out about for these young people? Well, for me, it's it, my favorite young player. One of I got two favorite young okay. players in the league right now. Okay. One of them is Anthony Edwards. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it, that's you know, that is the closest thing. And I said this now. It's you know, it's becoming more popular. And I'm not saying it became more popular because I said it, right. but I said this over a year ago. Mm-hmm that the guy reminds me of a young MJ. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the reason I said that is because athletically he's on par with MJ and he's bigger and stronger than MJ. He's not maybe, maybe an inch shorter, but he, he's, he has a stronger body. He's very explosive and he has an attack mentality. He likes to get downhill. And, and he has a pretty good jump shot. His mm-hmm. jump shot is, is coming around. But when he puts the ball on the floor, he's as dangerous as anybody in the league. And he's not only athletic and, and, and a, a slasher to the basket, he's also a finisher at the end of the games. He's the guy that you want to put the ball in his hands and say, take me there, young fella. Like He's the guy who can close out a game as well. And a lot of times it takes young players, you know, a few years to figure out how to close games, no matter what their talent level is. So Anthony Edwards, to me, is is going to be a guy that's one of the faces of the league. The other guy for me um, who who just really amazes me with his talent is Victor Wembanyama. Um, and again, you know, I may be a little bit biased. Oh, I know Spurs. I know. I know. Spurs I know. And, and Pop. But Victor is something that I have never seen. I, I've <laughs> never seen that. You know, I remember I remember Ralph Sampson uh, mm-hmm. in his heyday 
coming out of UVA because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I was born and raised in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So I, I followed Ralph from day one at UVA so and NBA. Yeah, and uh, and there is a similarity there when you talk about extremely tall. Yeah, that's um, it. That's fluid. it. Yeah, tall, fluid, uh, great dexterity. You know, in the open court and around the basket. Mm-hmm. But Victor's defense. I think will be what sets them apart along with the ability to shoot threes and put the ball on the floor. I mean, this is something that not just me is saying this, but, you know, guys that I played with, when we talk about today's players, we all say Victor is something that we have never seen. Yeah. You quadruple my, my basketball IQ. I'm just going because I have been around a lot of hoops and, Covered it, traveling, been with John. So we've been really close to it because we had access. Yeah. And because of practices, NBA All-Star Games, Vegas, all the things we've been privy to behind the scenes. We've been to Olympic trials. We've been to all these things. And he is like, to me, looking at a different type of species. Right. I have not seen a human being that mechanically looks like this, that when I see his movement, I thought of Ralph because that was the only, but Ralph's movements are different because he has more fluidity. Ralph looks like, moves like a big. This dude moves like a wing. Yeah. And, and I'm going, hold it. Hold it, Slim. He ain't supposed to be going out there checking a perimeter player. And when he goes out and leaps and puts up a hand that, that reach? Come on, man. That's inhuman. He looked like a yeah. reptile. I, dude, I, I can't even describe because I haven't seen it. My brain is searching for what do I relate that to? A sci-fi movie. That's all I can come up with. I don't have in the cartridge of my brain, I don't have something to compare it with. No, you, you, you have to go out of space. Right, uh, right. You got to go out of, the, out of the universe to really <laughs> really find something to compare him to. I mean, it, it's like looking at a giant praying mantis. I mean, Yeah, it, that's what like, I'm saying. I don't you know, have it. Yeah, I don't have yeah. it. Yeah, it's like a giant praying mantis that, that yeah. moves like a spider. Yeah, you know? like, yeah there you go. It, 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 and I'm yeah, not trying to yeah, be I funny. Mean, I'm literally no, saying I'm I don't yeah. have a comparable in my um, in my memory bank. And the brain is such a complex device. It's the best ever. And yet, when I saw Wimby, because the youngest in charge, you know, he went to the arena, and he's, you know, he's our, he's our wizard insider. And and I'm like, and I thought about it, and I go Wimby, and I saw him, and I go, wait a minute, I have a hard time even focusing on this guy. Like my my retina, my lens, it doesn't work. And I'm thinking, wow, this dude is really. Freaky. I mean, I've seen big football dudes. I've seen WWE wrestlers. I've seen all kind of freakish looking people and all that, but I've never seen this and then seen it move. He shoots threes like it's not a problem. I've seen my boy yeah. down in, in Milwaukee shooting threes. He's a big shooting threes, and he looks like a big shooting threes, and he's makes a lot of them, but this dude? I'm going. Wait a minute. Uh-uh. This is different, man. This is diff. This is different. And this telling me there's not another dude like this on Earth. 
Well, he he's one of one right now. now That's what I'm, no, be, I'm asking you. Mass, you yeah. do this for a living. You're telling me there's not another dude in Europe, in the Conga. There's nowhere on the planet that there's another dude with these dimensions. Not right now. Um, uh, there may potentially be a guy. I saw a guy in um, Barcelona. Remember, I played in Spain That's for right. years. That's right. Well. That's right. And Barcelona currently has a six foot nine. 12-year-old. Uh, he may be 13 not what? He may be 13 now. Anthony, yeah, we got to get over there, man. We got to get some rights. Go sign him. Yeah. Six, I'm some yeah, super agent, Anthony Haney over there. Uh, six foot nine, 12 or 13, maybe 13 now, who looks like Giannis when he was 18. And he moves better than Giannis did at, at 18 and as a 13-year-old. I mean, it's the footage on him. I, I cannot remember the kid's oh, name. But but Google that. Google that okay. FC Barcelona, FC Barcelona. Uh, 13-year-old, and, and you will see uh, something that you have never seen as, as a 13-year-old. So what I'm thinking, and, and again, we could be on the cusp of, of uh, real-time evolution in the game where we've been through these different eras where it was, okay, Wilt was who he was in his era and we never saw another Wilt until we saw Shaq, right. you know, several decades later. That's right. And right now, um, you know, we saw Michael Jordan, who basically became the prototype for what a great NBA player was supposed to be. The six foot six, long arms, 40 right. plus inch vertical. Like that was the standard. The Vince right. Carters and the Penny Hardaways, the Grant Hill. These okay, guys so we were, had five of similar. them. We had five, yeah, maybe. Kobe, now, yeah. now we may be in the era of seven foot plus, highly skilled Kevin Durant type guys will now become the the standard that you have to have in order to be able to even compete. Because when you look at Victor, he's something that we've never seen. And even when Giannis played him, who you know, name is is the freak. Right. The Greek freak because we, we, we hadn't really we thought. seen that. We thought. So we you thought. what about Don you not even mentioned Luca? What are we what are we saying about our current MVPs? Well, there's still a place for those guys, Doc. Okay. I mean now Luca is in the LeBron mode. Okay, like, so that's see, more again, like LeBron. There's always, you know, there's there's a guy that kind of sets the standard. Okay. LeBron has set the standard for a long time. Okay. And again, you've had a couple of guys you know, not very many who are LeBron like, and LeBron is 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 coming out of the Magic Johnson mode. Okay, he, this is a little bit. There's still always, one and one. There's not another one of him. There's not another. There's one not of another him. one of him, him. Really? No. In no sport. No. Yeah. See, okay. That, that's the thing. Doc. Now, unless Linnell, no, we put Linnell in uh, in New Orleans. What's my boy in New Orleans? Zion. Uh, Zion. <laughs> Zion. Lanelle Willingham. Yeah, Zion, Zion. Zion comes out of the Barkley mode. That's the mode. Okay, so Barkley. Okay, Barkley. Yeah. yeah, you know yeah, what, Dave? comes out of that mode. What, what, what we have to do, because we're running up against the clock, we got to spin a segment on this at another time, because I think we're on to something. And even with yeah. all of this, there won't be more than 25 of them. And when oh, you look no, at the no, overall no, population, no. that's frightening. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Wimby's yeah. won. He is one. He is a true one of one. I don't know if we'll <sighs> see another one. You know like what? That. Next time we do this, we got to do it off air because now we gave Sheehan. So he's got resources. So he'll probably be already on his private jet. He's probably sending people over somewhere now trying to find this guy 
that you just gave us a lead on. His name is it, Muhammad the Bone. The Bone. The Bone. Yeah, see, but Kevin, the Kevin will already have secured the rights on this guy before we wake up tomorrow morning. Yeah. And yeah, I tell you what, yeah, Terp, so. you are simply one of the best, man. We appreciate you, do because no matter how big, famous, and rich you are, you always respond. Whenever I call, you always make yourself available, man. And I, I really appreciate that, man. Even though we down here in the Cactus League, you never forget us, and I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, Doc, I, I appreciate you having me on, brother. All right, Anytime. man. We'll do it again. All right, thank you. All right. That All is, right. as Coach Thompson would say, Massenburg is simply one of the best. All right.